Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Ken, and it's my privilege to continue our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, but I'd like to begin with a, a brief story. Uh, I was on the way back from our vacation uh, when God blessed me with one of those wonderful teachable moments uh, with uh, my kids. Uh, Seth and I were driving, uh, towing our small camper back from Ludington. We were out in some back roads. And... Uh, when suddenly we heard the sound and felt uh, the feel of a flat tire. Uh, now, it has been a long time since I've changed a flat tire, and uh, I had never changed one in this car with 300,000 miles on it. Uh, I didn't have most of those miles on it. but uh, And so I said, well, Seth, we're going to learn how to change a flat tire today. Isn't this fabulous? So... Uh, uh, we looked for the jack and the lug wrench and got those out, and I delegated those responsibilities appropriately. Uh, and then uh, I said, man, i got to find this spare tire. So the first thing I did is I looked under the car, and I could kind of see a cavity with a tire in it. So I said, ah, it must be in the storage compartment of my vehicle. And so uh, I began taking out luggage, cooler, stray pop cans, t dirty T-shirts and things from the back. And there was no spare tire uh, in. There was no way to get to a spare tire in there. So then I got back under the car and saw the, ah, there is the tire, and it just kind of has a, a plastic casing around it. And so I said, all right, I can handle that. And I noticed there was kind of a long, flat nut uh, holding it there. And so I'm just like, all right, I'll spin that. And uh, I couldn't get it to spin. So I got my favorite tool out. I got a hammer, and uh, <laughs> I hit that, and oh man, it spun and spun and spun around, and the tire didn't really do anything uh, at all. And so uh, I had to get out front of the car, and then I had to say one of the saddest things that a dad has to say to his son uh, ever. I said, uh, Seth, why don't you go get the manual, and we're going to have to figure this out. And lo and behold, right there in section 7-2, uh, there was... Uh, an explanation of another little wrench and a little nut in the storage compartment that you spun, and it just lowered that tire down on a nice cable right to the ground as easy as you could please. Uh, aren't manuals nice? Some of you don't really think so. You would, do, you would not do what I did and go to the manual. That would be a last resort. Some of you do wish that, that life had a manual. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if there was a place that you could go that had explanations and instructions and guidance so when you're, when you're stuck and you really don't know what the right thing to do is, uh, that you could receive guidance uh, from that. Uh, it would be great if life came uh, with a manual. Uh, sometimes we talk about the Bible in that way, and in many ways, the Sermon on the Mount, it does give us instructions for life. Uh, but as we approach the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in particular, the passage that we are on today, Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 14, um, Paul is going to, not Paul, Jesus is going to give uh, a summary statement uh, of the Sermon on the Mount uh, that, uh, that is, in a sense, a, a quick reference guide to the sermon. Uh, it says, man, if you, can't, if you don't have the full manual, uh, that this is a, something that can guide you in living life as God intended it to be, uh, or if you prefer, what true righteousness and Christ-likeness looks like. 
Uh, let's read together Matthew 7, uh, verses 12 through 14. So whatever it says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy uh, that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Uh, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Well, in these few short verses, as, as Jesus is wrapping up his sermon, he gives one last statement that I really believe uh, is the end of the official sermon, the official explanation part uh, of the sermon. He's moving on from explanation uh, to to exhortation to follow it uh, at the, in the end of chapter 7. And he begins with a statement that, to be honest, is familiar to most all of us, uh, probably from some of our youngest days. It is one of the earliest forms of uh, fancy philosophers would call them uh, moral reasoning that we do. Uh, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Uh, we tell that to a two-year-old when we say, hey, would you want your friend to, take, to jerk the toy out of your hand? Uh, then you shouldn't do that to them. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, you would do to them. Do unto others what you would wish they would do to you. Treat others like you would like to be treated. Uh, the negative form, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Uh, this negative form was, uh, was not uncommonly stated by rabbis in Jesus' day. Uh, but Jesus, uh, really most, uh, from my reading, most said that he is the first one to give a positive formulation uh, of this statement. Rather than don't do to others what you don't want them to do, Jesus says more than just do no harm, you have a proactive responsibility to do positive good for others. Um, I believe what Jesus is giving is, as I said, a, a summary statement. Uh, the clue, one clue of this is his reference to the law and prophets. Uh, I was talking before the service to uh, uh, one of our members, and he said, how long is this Matthew series going to go? <laughs> I, I wasn't exactly sure how to take that. Uh, it has been uh, a while that we have been in Matthew, and if you can remember back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, 17, we see this same reference to the law and the prophets. Uh, right at the beginning of the sermon, and now here, uh, as Jesus begins his conclusion. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, uh, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, uh, but to fulfill them. Uh, Jesus is saying, uh, using this reference to the law and prophets, to refer to the moral teaching of the Old Testament. Uh, the law given by Moses, uh, the prophets who both uh, explained the law and exhorted people to follow the law and in some ways uh, uh, expanded their understanding of the law, of what God expects, uh, these spokesmen uh, for God. Uh, the law and the prophets. And Jesus, when he begins the sermon, he says, uh, I'm not coming to wipe all that away. I am coming to fulfill it, to bring it to its rightful fruition, its fully, uh, fully mature presentation. And then here, as he begins to wrap up the sermon, he says, uh, everything that I have said before, uh, rooted in the Old Testament, explained more fully uh, by me in the sermon, uh, in a sense, could be summed up in a single statement. Uh, Whatever you wish that others would do to you, 
do also uh, to them. Uh, just as Jesus crib notes version of the Sermon on the Mount, his cheat sheet, uh, the note that he wrote, you can write on the palm of your hand uh, that says, uh, if I'm not exactly sure what is right, uh, this will guide me. Uh, it doesn't address every situation, uh, but in a pinch it will point you in the right direction. Uh, as Jesus says, is this the law and the prophets? Some could read that and say, is he saying this supersedes all of the Old Testament or even the rest of the statement? Is he saying uh, this is really the law and the prophets? All this other stuff, uh, it's not as important as this. Uh, I don't think so. I think the framing of the sermon with the law and prophets at the beginning at the end is Jesus tying this together uh, and saying, uh, this is a shorthand reference for how you determine what is right. Uh, we have come to call it the golden rule. Easy to understand, easy to explain. But how do we live uh, the golden rule? Uh, I would suggest it's a two-step process. Uh, first, I have to ask myself, how do I want to be treated? Uh, what do I dislike? What do I like? Uh, what encourages me? What discourages me? Uh, what upsets me? Uh, what brings out the best in me? What brings out the worst in me? And as I answer those questions, I will receive guidance on what I ought to do. And then becomes the difficult second step. We have to do it. Uh, we have to do uh, what, what seems simple. Uh, but uh, to be honest, I find it difficult probably because I am incredibly committed to myself uh, more than anyone else. Uh, you know what, I, as I was thinking about that, it reminded me of a conversation I had early in my marriage, about uh, a year or two into our marriage. We were, Rhonda and I were with some friends, and uh, one of them was unmarried, and so they were asking us newlyweds, uh, what is the hardest thing about marriage? And uh, I thought about it and gave what may not be the best answer. I said it uh, for me, the hardest thing is the all-the-timeness uh, of marriage. <laughs> That's what they said when I, at the time. And I said, wait, 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 uh, you've got to understand. Like, I, I am a, I'm a pretty nice guy. I'm a, I'm a good guy. I'm, I really am. Uh, but when I got married, I discovered that really, I'm really good at being good for short bursts <laughs> and first impressions. I was really good at first impressions and for short bursts, but all the time, that's really hard uh, to live with someone and to put their needs before mine, uh, to think of not how I want to be treated, but how I ought to treat others is difficult. Um, it is not simple, even though we tell it to two-year-olds, uh, because so easily I drift back to... Uh, my own self-concern, my own self-preservation, my own self-satisfaction. Uh, I am consumed with myself. Uh, in fact, I, I find in my own heart uh, a desire to, to make some adjustments uh, to, the, to the, the golden rule, uh, to adapt it just a little bit. Uh, probably I, I don't officially say this too often, but uh, in my mind and in my practice, this is what it looks like. Uh, there's three things that I have identified in my own heart. Uh, one is sometimes I reverse the golden rule. It's a simple reversal of the golden rule. It goes like this. I expect others to treat me like I want to be treated. <laughs> Isn't that basically the same thing uh, as the golden rule? Expect others. I deserve it. In, 
You know, shouldn't they treat me the way I want to be treated? Uh, And that is how I live uh, my life. After all, don't they know the golden rule? They ought to be treating me like I want to be treated. Um, It is so easy to change the locus of responsibility. I do unto others what I wish they would do to me, to place it on someone else. You know, people try to do that with Jesus all the time. Uh, And he uh, he refused to give in to it. Uh, I think of an example from Luke chapter 13, a strange story where where people came to Jesus and they said, hey, did you hear about that tower that fell on those people uh, in Siloam? And and did you hear when Herod, uh, he sent his soldiers into the temple and killed a bunch of people? And they they wanted Jesus to to pontificate a little bit on the the wickedness of Herod or or perhaps on the people who were killed and uh, saying, you know, they they probably deserved it. That's a sign of God's judgment on it. Uh, But Jesus refused to let them put the focus on others. He said, do you think that you're more righteous than anyone there? Uh, Do you think that you're any uh, more deserving of life or less deserving uh, of evil in your life than they? Uh, Jesus always turned the spotlight on the person in front of him. It begins with us. Uh, Back in Luke chapter 12, a chapter before, uh, someone said, hey, uh, Jesus, why don't you divide the inheritance between me and my brother? Would you help us with this? Uh, The the underlying intent is fairly clear that he said, my brother's not treating me right. Won't you step in and make sure that I get my fair share? Uh, And Jesus uh, doesn't enter in, doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to solve this for you. I'm going to decide it uh, because I'm not concerned about your brother. You're in front of me right now. Uh, I refuse to be judge and arbiter between you. Uh, And then he begins teaching about covetousness and the fight for uh, getting what is mine or what I want. Uh, Jesus does not give in uh, to letting us focus on how others treat us. He says, the one person that you can control is you. Do unto others what you wish that they would do for you. Uh, That's the golden rule reversed. And it short circuits. Uh, It's a miswired golden rule. Uh, a second way that I, that I adjust the golden rule in my mind is I, I call it the golden tool. Uh, it also sounds so similar. It goes like this. Uh, I do unto others so that they will do for me. I do for others what they will do for me. And the golden rule becomes a tool I get to people to treat me the way I want to be treated. I will be good. Uh, I will be kind. Uh, in my home, I will, I'll, I'll even do the dishes once in a while. And maybe others will do it too or give back to me. Uh, the golden rule becomes uh, a tool for, uh, for pushing or guilting or uh, just, uh, actually I call it being a positive example and hope that they will follow my lead. Uh, and, and maybe there's some good in that, but when the golden rule becomes a tool that is uh, more concerned about getting me the treatment that I deserve, I've corrupted it into something that it was not intended to be. Uh, Jesus' golden rule doesn't have any qualifiers, doesn't have an expiration date. Um, It just says your responsibility is to treat others in a certain way regardless of how they respond uh, to you. Uh, Their response is between them and God. Your responsibility is to do to others um, what you wish they would do for you. Man, this is a high bar. Uh, As we've seen once again and again throughout the Sermon on the Mount, uh, as Jesus interacts with the law, he doesn't say, man, those people are so legalistic and strict about the law. You know, let's just lighten up. Let's make it easier uh, there. 
Uh, Jesus says, as, as Pastor Chris called it, the spiritual dentistry series. He says, no, we're going to dig deeper into the law and say there's an intent to the law, and God is, is equally concerned with your heart as he is with your external actions. Uh, both of them are important, and if anything has priority, it's your heart, because that reveals what you really think uh, about uh, God. Uh, the golden rule is not a tool for getting what I want. Uh, a third way that I find myself corrupting the golden rule, I call the golden loophole. Uh, the golden loophole. Uh, uh, you may have never heard of it because I made it up uh, this week. Uh, but you may think like this, uh, at least I do. Uh, I say, yep, the golden rule is a good thing. Uh, treat others like I wish to be treated. But not everybody thinks like me. Uh, not everybody responds the way I do. And so if they don't, well, that's on them. Uh, example. When, uh, when I get sick, you know, what I, you know how I like to be treated when I'm sick? I, I really like to just kind of, I like to hole up in a cave. And I do like occasional food and water to come under the door. Uh, but I really don't want to talk. I don't want to interact. I don't like to be pampered really even. Just, just a little food and water and then I'll come out when I'm feeling better. Uh, that's how I would like to be treated. So, that's how I should treat my wife, shouldn't it? You see the loophole, don't you? Isn't that great? I'm just treating you the way I would like to be treated. What is wrong with that? Uh, doesn't that sound great? If, they find, if, if I find that others think differently, you know what the problem is? They're too sensitive. Yep. Uh, it's their problem because I'm following the golden rule. Treat others like I would like to be treated. Hmm, it's easy to write others off. Uh, it's hard to say, no, my job is to love them the way I love myself. You know how I love myself? I love myself just as I am. I do. I have very low expectations for change for myself. I just love myself... <laughs> just the way that I am. And you know what? Because that's true, if I want to love others like I want to be treated, I mean to love them just the way that they are. And so, uh, somebody else, I can't use the golden loophole to say, you know what? Hey, that's on you. I'm treating you just the way that I would be treated. Isn't that fair? Isn't that right? Uh, the golden rule is not a loophole to lower, my, lower expectations or for a lot, to justify me doing what I want to do. Uh, in fact, that's the legalist trap. Uh, Jesus, throughout the sermon, uh, confronts people who look at righteousness like a lawyer looking for a way to justify me doing what I wanted to do anyway. Uh, as long as I don't commit murder, I'm good, right? Uh, as long as I don't commit the act of adultery, I'm good, right? Uh, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. Uh, those things are, those are bad, but God cares about your heart. Uh, Martin Lloyd joins a biblical commentator says sometimes we think of the law mechanically uh, and we treat it like it is an instruction manual uh, if I memorize all the rules and regulations and I carry them out then God is compelled to bless me uh, doing so treating the, the, the law mechanically he says is treating it like it is something outside of God as if there is God here in the law and once he's given the law, then this is a, a tool for me to operate that I can get leverage with others or with God. Uh, instead, what the Sermon on the Mount tells us is that, this, that 
Uh, the law is an expression of his will, his desire, and his heart. Uh, it is spiritual and living. It is intimately connected with who God is because I am pleasing a person, not fulfilling a set of expectations written down on a stone tablet uh, or uh, written down in black and white. Uh, it is connected with God, and as a result, what, God, what Jesus teaches uh, is the spirit with which he wants us to relate to each other. And this is the spirit of Christ. Um, it is not a bare minimum expectation that I'm looking to say, oh, I fulfilled, exact, uh, I fulfilled what it said there. Uh, no, I am seeking to please the heart of God by uh, fulfilling what he says is right and righteous. Uh, do unto others is a guide, uh, a guide to righteous living. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, why don't we obey the golden rule? Uh, sometimes we are resistant to the law and the lawgiver because we would prefer to think of self first. Uh, Self-centeredness, self-satisfaction, self-protection, self-concern consume us. Uh, and Jesus calls us out and says, rather than be consumed with your desires, think about your desires and then use them in how you treat uh, others. Um, this is a guide, uh, the layman's guide for pleasing God. Um, I believe at the end of chapter of verse 12 that we see, Jesus is, is finished with a portion of this sermon where he is explaining the life to be lived. And he moves on from there in verses 13 all the way to nearly the end of the chapter to say, this is an exhortation to live that life. Uh, moving from an explanation of the life to be lived to an exhortation to live the life. Uh, in these closing passages that we'll, we'll study in the, in the ensuing weeks and that begin with verse 13, he says, uh, enter into this life. I want to convince you and compel you to enter in to this life uh, with Christ. Uh, he begins uh, by saying, saying there is two gates and two paths. Uh, his invitation, his command, is to enter into the narrow gate. Uh, its way is hard, he says, but it leads ultimately to life. Uh, but he says there's another path, uh, a common path, uh, a beaten down track. Uh, the normal flow of traffic goes by a wide and easy way. Uh, but this way leads to destruction, and those who enter it by many are many. Jesus gives this invitation to a, a narrow gate. Uh, really, that, that raises a question. Why exactly is it narrow? Uh, why is the gate narrow and the way narrow? There's two different things he describes there. Uh, is it because it's hidden, uh, difficult to find, uh, that you need to go to a distant place to, to talk to uh, someone who has had a mystical experience in order to enter into this life? Is it, is it hidden and disguised and difficult to find? Uh, that could be a narrow gate. Uh, or perhaps uh, it is because entry is difficult. Uh, maybe it's like becoming a, an army ranger or a navy seal. Uh, there's a training that you have to survive uh, in order to qualify. And so uh, in order to enter into this life with Christ, uh, there's something difficult that you have to do. You have to raise your standard up to a certain level. Uh, is this what it means that the way is narrow? that the path is hard. Uh, or perhaps he's saying that it is, it's exclusive, uh, that only a few are invited. If you're not part of the club, 
uh, don't even try to get in. Uh, maybe uh, this way of Christ is just for a certain kind of people. Uh, is this what it means that there's a narrow gate? Uh, you know, a, a side note uh, on that point, uh, sometimes we, we treat as if God does look, is looking for just certain kind of people. Uh, uh, maybe it's for some who thinks, you know what, I, I can tell who God has chosen and who is not. And we wouldn't necessarily say that, but uh, I think of that sometimes when, uh, have you ever been on vacation and you're chatting with somebody you meet uh, on vacation, and as you're talking to them, you just say, man, they just seem like a Christian. And then, and then maybe later on in the conversation you find out that they go, they go to a Baptist church and then you know they really are a Christian uh, as a result. Uh, what does it mean to seem like you're a Christian? Is, is Christianity a certain personality type? Uh, a certain way you dress? Uh, in my more gracious moments, I, I might say, yeah, there are people who said, man, they have the, the spirit of Christ. They seem like they're people who do unto others as they wish others would do to them. And so perhaps they are. That's uh, perhaps a, a good thing in that. Uh, but there's an insidious link if we just think the gospel is for a certain kind of people versus it is for everyone and anyone. There aren't people who it just seems like that they're a, they're a natural fit for being a Christian. Uh, God's grace is offered to all. His invitation is open to all. Uh, the narrow gate uh, is not something that is, that is impossible to find or difficult to find, uh, but it is a choice. It is one that, is, that few choose. Uh, I love what G.K. Chesterton said when he said, uh, most people think Christi Christianity has been tried and found wanting. On the contrary, I, I think that it has been found difficult and it's left untried. Um, it is not hidden. Um, really, the requirements are not onerous. Uh, instead, I believe what Jesus is saying is two things. Two things. Uh, one is that to follow Christ is to swim upstream. Uh, to follow Christ is to, to deviate from the path uh, that is normal and natural. It is going to swim up. It means that we will be swimming upstream. And this is the way things always have and always will be. You know, we feel that, I think, more uh, in our current culture and day. Uh, when we defend traditional marriage, when we protect those who are not yet born, uh, when we call for sexual purity before marriage and in marriage, uh, when we say that your body matters definitively in determining what your gender is, uh, all of us, we say, man, when did the current change? Uh, we thought everybody was swimming in the same direction, but now it seems like it's going then. What is wrong? Uh, I think Jesus would say to us, well, the way has always been narrow. The way has always been narrow. To be a follower of Christ is to swim upstream. Don't be surprised. Don't, don't be dismayed. Uh, the gate was always narrow. The way was always uh, a path uh, that reserved by God, uh, directed by God. Uh, to follow Christ is to swim upstream. We shouldn't be surprised uh, because the way is narrow and the way is hard, uh, but it leads to life. Uh, secondly, I think what Jesus is saying here is that uh, 
few will choose this way because it is not instinctive. Uh, he does say the, great, the, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. And, and it could lead somebody to say, man, is it difficult? Is it hidden? Um, I don't think it is. It's that people do not choose to find it and they don't choose this path. Um, the, the empirical reality is that few choose this path uh, because it's, it's not instinctive. Uh, the beaten path, the normal flow of traffic is in a certain direction. Uh, he's reiterating the thought that we find in Proverbs when the Proverbs writer says, there is a way that seems right to a man, uh, but in the end it leads to death. Perhaps I could illustrate it this way. Uh, uh, those of you who know me well know that I have a, a terrible sense of direction, uh, north, south, east, and west. Uh, they begin when I'm outside and can see the sun. So, you know, north is that way. You go outside, and then you find the sun, and then I can find, uh, find north, unless it's cloudy. Uh, then it's big trouble. Uh, sometimes when uh, Ron and I are traveling and we're going somewhere uh, with my poor sense of direction, I'll be driving... And maybe someone can identify with this, but you ever driving somewhere unfamiliar, maybe it's to a wedding of someone uh, in another city, and you're, you're kind of not sure where the turn is, and you, you see someone up ahead of you, and they turn, and you think, I bet that's the road that you're supposed to turn on. Has any, would anyone else admit to thinking that? Thank you, Joanne. Uh, it is. Uh, you know what? The, isn't that ridiculous that I would think like that, that I'd assume that that person is going to the same destination as I am and that if I follow them, I'll get to where I need to go? That's ridiculous. Almost as ridiculous as following a wide path uh, because lots of people are going on it. And it seems normal and natural. Uh, and it, it, just, it, it seems like the way to go. Uh, if I do that, I better check that we're heading for the same destination. Jesus says there's a path that leads to life, and there's a path that leads to destruction. Uh, it says the wide path says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, but in his sermon, he says, no, not you. Turn the other cheek. Offer another cheek. Uh, the car in front of me says, hate my enemy uh, and love those who love me. And Jesus says, no, love, uh, love your neighbor as yourself and love your enemy uh, as well. Uh, it's a, it's a non-instinctive path, and as a result, few desire to choose it. Uh, they'd rather go the natural way, the normal way, the same direction. Uh, but Jesus says, uh, uh, to be honest, he says things differently than we do. Uh, sometimes when we invite people to the gospel, we give uh, a vague invitation to a, uh, an undefined commitment and said, your sins will be forgiven and you'll go to heaven. And then uh, we kind of say, you can just keep going on in your life the way that it is, your normal pattern of life. Uh, but instead, uh, that's not how Jesus, he doesn't say, man, the gate is wide and then the path gets narrower and narrower and narrower as you go along. Uh, Jesus says, up front, it's a narrow gate and a narrow path but it's one that leads to life. His invitation uh, is open to all, accessible to all, uh, but it is a difficult, uh, it is a narrow path. Uh, and so Jesus says to a rich young ruler who comes to him and says, well, as soon as you sell all that you have and give it to the poor, then you can follow me. Uh, and for that man, the path was too narrow. His riches had too much of a hold on his heart. It didn't fit 
through the narrow gate. Uh, later, Jesus says to a prospective disciple, a scribe, who said, I want to follow you, I want to be your disciple. And Jesus says, uh, well, I've got to tell you, foxes have holes and birds have nests, uh, but I will not have a place to lay your head. Uh, if you're coming in order to get something from God, there's nothing here. That's not what God is offering. Uh, you must follow me. Uh, the path is narrow. Uh, the way is straight. Uh, but the end is life. That's the promise. Uh, it's not about the ease of the journey or the familiarity of the path. Uh, it's a, that end that, en that it is a path that ends with life uh, with God. Uh, we enter into it uh, by entrusting ourselves to Christ. That's faith. Uh, turning from the way that we know that this pleases him. That's repentance. Uh, and we do that, we enter into this path with him. And it is a narrow path. And it can be challenging. Uh, but the reality is that Jesus walks with us on that path. All the way. If we're hoping for an easier Christianity, that is not what Christ offers. Uh, what he offers is a narrow path, but one filled with grace. The grace of forgiveness, yes. Uh, but also the grace of empowerment uh, through the Spirit to live the life that he has called us to. And he invites us to join us, to join him. Enter by the narrow gate. Uh, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard, and it leads to life. Uh, choose the narrow path.